Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the fall! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked the young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. Aaron Arrow, the sick podcast on this Monday, November 13th. It is one minute past 10 o'clock Eastern. And my buddy Vito V says, Tony, bring the fire. When my buddy Vito V says, bring the fire, I am going to bring the fire. Oh, formal. Even the whole room is going to go on fire. This is for Vito V. Look, Vito, the fire, Vito, the fire. Fire. Call the ambulance. My house is on fire. Not yet. Don't call the ambulance. I was just kidding all right welcome to the sick podcast everyone watching live on youtube watching live on facebook and living wa- uh, watching live on twitter as well eric engels gonna blah, 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 blah. what in the world is going on with me now i i think my pants almost caught on fire eric engels is uh, going to join me in just a second but reminding you that of course the sick podcast is brought to you in part by energy transportation group it's brought to you in part by playground and it's brought to you in part by these guys La bit at TB. So without further ado, let's get to it. It was a busy weekend for the Montreal Canadiens, a 3-2 overtime win versus the Boston Bruins on Saturday night at the Bell Center. Nothing better than the Canadians beating the Bruins, unless, of course, you're a Boston Bruins fan, uh, of which there are many, by the way, in the city of Montreal. There are. I believe they either fell in love with Bobby Orr and or Phil Esposito back in the day, and so they passed that on to their kids, and they said, you either become a Boston Bruins fan or I give you the beating of your life. So they ended up becoming a Boston Bruins fan for the same reasons that we ended up becoming a Montreal Canadiens fan. Oh, no, we didn't become a Canadiens fan. For, we became a Canadiens fan because we live in Montreal, and it's so much more fun, your city, when you actually cheer for the, you know, the team that represents the city in which you live in, right? That's why we do it. Okay, so uh, big win on Saturday night. Unfortunately, the Vancouver Canucks come uh, into, the, into Montreal like pretty pissed off because they lost on Saturday night and lost big to the Toronto Maple Leafs. So they came in on a mission. The Canadians, you would think, were probably a little bit content with the win on Saturday night. doesn't mean they didn't want the win on Sunday. Of course they did. But I think if you watched the game last night, the Vancouver Canucks looked like a team that wanted it more. At least they did to me. And that's exactly what happened. And they beat the Montreal Canadiens, of course, by a score of 5-2. to two. Without further ado, I told you Eric Engels was going to join him. Oh, my God. It smells of smoke in this room. This room's going to go on fire for real. Uh, Eric Engels of Sportsnet at Sportsnet.ca. What's going on? What's happening? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I it, 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 I was. I am not kidding when I tell you that the room smells of smoke. Now, it really does. It smells of smoke. 
Are you sure yeah. it's from that machine that you had going on, or it's uh, something uh, that you ate, or? Uh, I don't know what it is, uh, but uh, it's it's probably Vito V. It was probably on fire, my buddy Vito V. All right, okay, so you like you like my hat, Tony? I do like your hat. Well, educate me. Where does you know that come about, from? You don't know about Swifties? Uh, no, but it That's seems like right. they're just going to get themselves a, a pretty nice plug here on the sick yeah, podcast. You know what? You, you have friends of the show, and I understand. That yeah, yeah. No, don't worry about it. We're only going to build them 10000 tomorrow yeah, morning. Yeah, go for really it. Master, but this is a very good friend of mine. Matt's is that right? And he, uh, he stores all kinds of incredible cars. You've got to see the, the room that he's got going on in these cars that are in there. It's absolutely beautiful and all kinds of bodywork and stuff. And he's a good okay. Matt Swift, Brennan, he's the man. But I, I, I he, am gave me this, he gave me this hat, and I said, I'm, I'm going to wear this hat everywhere I go. I love well, I, I will tell you this. Any friend of yours is a friend of mine, and uh, you know what? So on that note, I'm happy that you gave him the shout-out. And I am looking for a place to place the, for, to, to put the Ferrari in the winter. I'm not going yeah, to because I will hook you guys up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to put the Corvette somewhere, too, though. Oh, there's a he had a I, I saw one in his showroom that was from I, I don't want to misspeak, but I think it was 1951 or something like really? that. Really? No, no, mine's an 84. Insane. But I, I gotta Insane. find a place to put the Porsche as well because I'm not oh, just gonna man. store the Ferrari and the Corvette. You know what? I'll give you Matt's number after. Yeah, this. give me his number because you know, if I end up uh, storing the uh, the Ferrari and the Corvette, then the Porsche is gonna get jealous. I think I'm gonna have to find a place for all three of them <laughs> one day when we sell the podcast. All right, okay. Until then, until then. Uh, it was uh, kind of like a 50-50 weekend, right? Not only was there a win and a loss, but you know there were some ups and downs. There were some good performances, some less good performances. Before we get to that, before we get to that, uh, Renault Lavoie of TVA and uh, Elliot Freeman of Sportsnet, uh, and you probably had an update on this as well. I don't know, so if you did, let me know. But uh, I know that Renault did, and I know that Elliot did. Samuel Montembeau and the Montreal Canadiens. In contract talks, that we knew. Of course, his contract is up at the end of the year. And um, it, it's looking pretty good. Things are headed in the right direction, we're hearing. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the contract talks have been positive, I believe. But that could always change pretty quickly. And I think Kent Hughes is pretty conservative when it comes to sharing any type of information on this. And I know that he's, you know, he's not out there telling everybody what's going on inside that thing. You know, he's, he keeps it pretty tight because I think his, his whole experience as an agent, you know, he knows that once it goes beyond the borders of a negotiation between the two parties, things can change and the tenor of it can become different. But I, I think the Montreal Canadiens would like to have Samuel Montembeau on a long-term contract. I think he'd like to be in Montreal long-term and we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, you know, speaking with Montembeau after Elliot put out his report yeah. on Saturday, yeah. Um, just said, you know, hey, uh, are we going to have to write Sunday morning because we already have the game and everything? And uh, he said, no, no, no it, 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 it's not happening that fast, but we are talking. And uh, he, he certainly didn't hide the fact and hasn't hidden from the fact that he wants to sign with the Canadians. And, you know, <clears throat> I think once we see what it, where it all ends up, which I would expect it ends up with his signature on a contract, yeah, um, you know, we'll evaluate what the deal looks like. But if you get him signed and it's to what it should be based on his numbers and what he's done in his performance and his age and all those things that factor into it. And the fact that he is an unrestricted free agent and you're buying years away where you could choose to play anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one less thing you have to worry about in this build, right? Like we know yeah. that he's an NHL goalie. We know that he 
I think he's already earned status as a, a, a very, very good 1B and a guy who could potentially be uh, a, not just a 1A, but like a solid one. There's no, there's so few goalies now that are like the guy, right? Like there's Shesterkin in New York, there's Sorokin in New York. Yeah. There's Ottinger in Dallas. Who else is Vasilevsky in Tampa? Is Vasilevsky in Tampa? Like, who else is is you're looking at them and saying, okay, that guy's starting sixty games this year? Like, it's just, it's just not the way it works anymore at that position. So, if you have a guy that you know you can count on for forty two at least mm-hmm. or forty one at least, and yeah. potentially even more than that, and that he can reasonably fulfill the obligations of that duty. Um, that costs something. There's a value to that. Mm-hmm. And we'll see where it ends up with Montembeau, who, who clearly enjoys his time in Montreal and sees the opportunity that he has here and wants to be here. Uh, I would say uh, Bobrovsky in Florida. Not even. Yeah, he plays most of them. Is he? Um, I mean, did he start? He started the playoffs for Florida, and then what happened? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I hear you. I'm just I saying, like locked in number yeah. one, and not, not going away from this to. guy. Like yeah. Connor Connor Hellebuck. I think there's yeah, there, there, there's another one. Okay, so yeah. that's five out of thirty. Yeah, not many, not many. You're right about five that. out of thirty-two, and like even within those five, there's there's rankings there. So who do you right? say again? So now Connor Hellebuck, Broken, yeah, Sturkin, yeah, Ottinger, Ottinger, yeah. Vasilevsky, Hellebuck, I would agree with. Yeah. I don't agree with Bobrovsky being in the same category. You could no. probably put Carter Hart there, but, you know, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a few guys in that kind of second tier who yeah, are starters. Yeah. They are the yeah. 1A. There's no debate. It's not a tandem. Yeah. They are the 1A, but they're still sharing the net a little bit more than starting goalies used to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Saros? Saros is a good example. Yeah, All right, we're finding more. Yeah, we're finding a couple more. We're finding I mean, more. There's but a even if guys who have a chance to establish themselves, like Thatcher yeah. Demko, has a nice opportunity in front of him. Yeah, he's a, he's he's a clear cut one A. Yeah, and he could be he could be a guy that you ride as a number one. But so, the point is, like teams are going further and further away from this, and I'm not saying Sam couldn't be that guy either. Yeah, we, we haven't seen it yet because he hasn't really been given that chance. Um, but I, I think he's already proven that he's a legit 1B with potential as a 1A. And if he proves his potential as that 1A, he could be a number one. So So the Boston Bruins have two number ones. Let's say Olmark and Swayman. In your world, you wouldn't trade one of them to go get depth at another position because you believe the two-goalie system is the system that works better nowadays? Is that fair to say or? Listen, I think both of Boston's goalies are really, really good. But when you say they have two number ones, I see them as a tandem. Uh, Like, we don't know if they're really number ones if they're not in a position where they're playing 60 games a year because the numbers might look drastically different if they were were playing at that volume of games, right? Mm -hmm. I understand the argument because they have two really good goalies and potentially they can help themselves at a position that has suddenly become – weaker although it's not hurting them much in the standings right now like center with Bergeron Krejci gone yeah um but is there urgency for them to change that I mean when they look at their record I think they're probably saying to themselves we're not looking to to deviate from the plan we have there so give me a number 
when all is said and done, putting you on the spot, but that's okay, you're a big boy, that you think Montembeau and his agent will settle on? When I all think, is said and done. Tony, I, I'm telling you right now, because I haven't looked deeply into it, and I haven't wanted to look deeply into it and done like that big statistical analysis because I'm the type that prefers to see what he signs for and then decide is this the right number? Is it based on this, this, this? And like, I would never give you a number guessing without having done all the research. And and I think if you look at it, and this is really off the top of my head, yeah. Like, what's it used to be? League average goaltending was nine fifteen as a save percentage. I think it's closer to nine oh five now, with a few outliers who are really high up and and above where they even belong. I think we've started to look at different numbers with respect to putting value on contracts like goal saved above expected, where Montembeau over the last two years has ranked, you know, among the top 30 goalies in the league and higher up last year. Um, You know, Jake Allen's really high on that list this year. He was number one at one point, Mm -hmm. you know, both guys hovering around nine Oh five. And how much stock do we put into that? Knowing the teams that they play behind and, and, you know, I, I'm not willing to put a number down in terms of what I think would be a good contract for Sam before really evaluating the entire goaltending market, which I'm going to have to do when he does sign and, and write that piece. Um, but people should remember, because I've seen people tweet at me saying stuff like, uh, if he signs for anything more than $2 million, that's a joke. Like, I mean, like... This guy is 27 years old. He'll be a coveted free agent on the market if he hits the market. Um, you're buying up years where he can choose anywhere he wants to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps that he wants to play in Montreal. Yeah, uh, but I'm gonna it, I'm gonna take it doesn't it doesn't, ha- it doesn't help so much, Tony. That yeah, uh, that you're just gonna be able to fleece him in the deal and make it all within your favor. It, well, it costs money to get a, a goalie that you can rely on. I'm going to take it a step further. Based on Jake Allen's contract this year and next year at $3.875 million, based on the fact that a year ago, Montembeau had a slightly better year than Jake Allen did, based on the fact that he's you're getting some of those unrestricted years that you just talked about because he has the opportunity of go for, to go free agency, based on the fact that he would be one of few Quebecers on this team, on a team and market that values Quebecers, and if you're the agent, you would uh, use that as a as a negotiation tactic because um, when there aren't Quebecers on this team, it usually makes the front page of the paper, and there aren't that many right now. There's Raphael Arvey-Pinard, there's David Savard, and uh, there's Michael Matheson, who to some, and it's crazy to say, is not a Quebecer. He's a West Islander. But And I say that half, you know, in jest. But based on all of that, it wouldn't shock me, and I could be way off here, that Montembeau has at least the same number as Allen and maybe a couple of dollars more. It wouldn't shock me. 3.85? Is it Allen's 3.85, I think? Yeah, yeah, three point, I think it's 3.875, but, but anyway, whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is, it wouldn't shock me if he's got that same number or he's got 3.9. It wouldn't shock me. It, it would appear to be a big number for a lot of people for a goalie who – really hasn't proven himself for more than one season, but it wouldn't shock me. I, mean, uh, I could be well. That's, that's kind of the thing here, right? Like you're talking about a much larger body of work when it comes to Jake Allen and a different role and a different age bracket when he signed the contract. And that's where it gets kind of dicey comparing 
uh, contracts. I understand the situation and both of them playing on the same team enables mm-hmm. Montembeau to make kind of a case like that. Um, but at the same time, like typically you, you compare apples to apples in these situations when you're the GM, at least in that position, mm-hmm. and that's coming at you as an argument. We'll see where it ends up. We'll see if it ends up getting signed because it's never done until it's actually signed. Like not, it's not handshakes are are not deals in this game. It's you better put pen to paper before you start talking or or spiking the football and saying this is done. Uh, Yeah, things things can go off the rails with one phone call or one conversation. So we'll we'll see where it ends up. Um, It is three point eight five for Jake Allen. By the way, this year, next year with a modified no trade clause. Seven, seven teams that he could choose not to go to. Yeah. Um, if that's where it ends up with Sam, I can't tell you whether or not that's good, a good deal for the Canadians or a good deal for Sam without evaluating the entire market. So we'll see. Okay. All right. On that note. Um, Boring, eh? I'm sorry. No, I no, wish I could have been more outlandish. No, don't worry I just, about it. I don't like putting myself out there without having done the research. Otherwise, I really am just guessing. And I don't yeah, like to guess. Okay, that's fine. Uh, 50-50 weekend, I thought, for Brendan Gallagher and Nick Suzuki, uh, really, who I thought had a really strong game on Saturday night. Uh, so, Gallagher, um, I know you didn't want to dismiss him. Uh, I talked about his skating being laborious in training camp, very hard to look at. And there's no way he had a chance to be in the top six. I have to tell you, I uh, should have known better uh, to doubt a guy who's been doubted by probably 80% of the hockey world all his life. Uh, I I didn't think he was finished, but I thought that the end was near. Uh, he's got gas left in the tank. We should we should play some of those clips of you and I talking back. Yeah, then. he's he's got gas left in the tank. I think you st- I think you stopped me halfway through what I was saying. Say, oh, Eric, Eric, Eric. What are you talking about? Gallagher is going to be able to come back. Look, it didn't look pretty in uh, in training camp. I think everybody can acknowledge that. But Gallagher is a perfect example of why you don't judge a player his age in training camp. Um, it just sometimes it takes the motor a bit of time to get running. I said this on our Sports Night broadcast Sunday night. It's running pretty well. And the fit with Pearson and Monaghan, three guys who play a straightforward game, um, that's one thing. Another is that he's healthy. Like, he just he came into last season and a lot of people forget what he looked like before he got hurt Mm -hmm. because he was turning the corner and doing good things and kind of like josh anderson this year he wasn't scoring but he was doing good things and uh then he suffered that ankle injury and then tried to come back and hurt it again and just a terrible type of situation for him that he wasn't able to recover really and come back and I just think that's a guy like you you just said it you know bet against him bet against him at your own peril like and I don't he's on pace for what 28 goals this year I don't think he's going to score that many but I never thought for a second that it wouldn't be possible for him to get back to 20. I will say just as much as anybody watching him in training camp I was saying to myself like it's tough out there for him right now yeah but he's a perfect example of why when you get to 31, 32 years old, um, you got to give those guys just a little bit. Don't, don't judge too much what you see there in training camp because that could be a huge illusion. Five goals in 15 games for Brendan Gallagher, not too shabby. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, how many does, uh, how many does Caulfield have? 
Uh, Caulfield's got five goals. Five or six, yeah. Five. Yeah. Brian five Gallagher games. has the same amount of goals his as Cole of, Caulfield after 15 games. His, uh, Caulfield has three in overtime and one uh, in the power play and one at even strength, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a big season that Gallagher's having so far, 15 games in. So I thought it was a big game by him. By the way, like his goal was such Brendan Gallagher's career, right? It was so that's that's him. Like and he's going to the net, and McAvoy's like, Yeah, okay, where is this guy? Let me keep an eye on him. He's he's hovering, he's hovering, he's going behind McAvoy, he's going, he's going, he's going. And then he just right place, right time, and then second effort. The way he's like kind of like diving to try and basically jam that one home. Um, that was that was very Brendan Gallagher like. I, I agree. I'm wondering if people are noticing all the other things he's doing on the ice because there's plays that he's making that show the evolution that he's had under Marty St. Louis. You know, you talk about not being able to teach an old dog new tricks. Like he's made some excellent plays, uh, especially in transition to Pearson, to uh, to Monaghan. Uh, the passes coming over the line, zone entries, um, stealing pucks like he did in the Vancouver game and put himself out there all alone to, to get a breakaway opportunity and took a shot that the uh, Smith made a nice save on. But like, mm-hmm. There's more to his game than just the game that we've always seen him play as Brandon Gallagher. I think he has evolved as a player. And and one thing that I think is is in in balance with that, Tony, is that he is still playing his old school game. You know, I think there was a, a point in time here where the transition was difficult for him under Marty St. Louis, where all these concepts that St. Louis was bringing in, there was an adaptation period for him, for, for sure, like unquestionably. Mm-hmm. But he has adapted without losing who he is is as a player. I I think that process has been more difficult for a guy like Josh Anderson. And I think while Josh Anderson has been in this situation where Puck really wasn't going in for him early on and it really looked like a struggle, now he's kind of reverting back to the player he's always been in terms of style of play instead of all the concepts that Marty preaches. And he's kind of looked like the best version of himself, despite the fact the puck's not going in for him. And I, I honestly feel for him right now. Like, what else does this guy have to do to score? Because if you look at his last three games, if anybody objectively looked at them and said, "Oh, he's not playing well," they're, they're not watching. Like, yeah, yeah, but well. just not. I'll give, I'll give you the advice somebody gave me a long time ago, Eric. You don't have to feel for him, okay? When he gets paid, what he gets paid every eighteen days, you should, you should feel for guys like you and me, not for him, okay? He's, He's okay. Yeah, but I don't know. He's, he's, he's I'm snake-bitten. a bleeding heart, Tony. He's like snake-bitten. I'm a, he's snakebitten. He's snakebitten. I, I never see. I, I never like to see. I never like to see people struggle. No, and no matter what their lot is in life, um, and and it's a it's a difficult thing uh, when you're in a city like this and you're under that type of pressure. You're right. You're right. You can do it, but it's not yeah. happening for you. Like. And I think the discourse around his game, and I, I can judge just based off my replies on, on Twitter, is like people just saying, like, he's horrible, he's this, and he's not. He's like, getting called the new Gomez by a lot of people, let me yeah, tell you. I mean, it's all, a, it's all over social media. I haven't, media right seen, I haven't seen that, but I mean. Oh, you haven't? It's all, no. It seems like everywhere, like on Twitter, he's the new Gomez. Yeah, well. But he's I creating think, a lot. And yeah. you just, you know, when coaches say when the first one goes in, a lot, you know, a lot more are going to follow. You get the feeling that's going to happen for him because, like, 
this guy almost seems like he's invented every single which way you can miss. Like he's missing every if, which way. It's unbelievable. If there was a if there was a prop bet going into the Vancouver game mm. on him scoring a goal, I would have taken it. Like I really thought it was coming, especially after Washington played a game against Boston. Maybe it's coming against Calgary. One way or the other, it's coming. This guy isn't going to go the whole season without scoring. And once he does, as Marty has said, as you just yeah. said, chances are they're going to start going in in bunches. And if that happens, yeah, it'll be really good for the Canadians because they need a bit of pressure taken off on uh, some of the guys, especially at five on five, that are counted on to score every night on this team. Like the Habs are seven, six, and two. I don't know if people would have given them that record even if Kirby Doc was healthy, but the fact that Kirby Doc went down in the second game of the season, yeah, after four periods and an overtime played, and they're in that position, and that they played a few of the games, you know, a few of them they got some results that masked some of their issues. A few of them they lost that they deserve to win. And you said it was a 50-50 weekend. That's you've kind of mentioned that a couple times already since we've been on together here. Yeah. I thought it was kind of an 80% weekend for them in terms of their process. Results, obviously, they had one win, one loss. Yeah. That game against Boston, which people were comparing to the game against Vegas, there was a massive difference in their performance uh, versus the one in Vegas, which Marty called their their most thoroughly well-played game since he's been coach. Yeah. They played a much better game against Boston. And I'll tell you why. It, 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 there was a difference in the style of play and it was much more straightforward and simple and hardworking. And I, I think this team has been guilty a little bit since the beginning of, of the season of thinking that, you know, they, they do have a lot of skill at different positions, whether they're, there's no debate that they're young. Yeah. They have skill. They, they have a lot of skill, but if they don't outwork their opponents, you know, it's a crapshoot in terms of whether or not they're going to win. They completely, completely outworked Boston and not passing their way through them all up and down the ice. They got over the red line. They dumped the puck in. They went after it. They got behind their defense. They worked the boards. They worked the cycle. They were pressing hard on the back check. They blocked 18 shots. They they threw 27 hits in a game where they possessed the puck, uh, if not as much as Boston, more. That was the type of game that should make them realize as the third youngest team in the NHL. If yeah. they replicate that style of game, they're going to be successful much more often because you know what? Can you believe it? We're 15 games into the season. When you get to this point, it starts to tighten up quite a bit. The loosey goosey back and forth Edmonton Oilers, Toronto Maple Leaf style of hockey works for two teams in the league and everybody else has to grind it out. And this team is learning that, that's the way it's got to be if they're going to win more frequently. Yeah, we talked about Gallagher, who on Saturday night versus the Bruins had 13.48 of ice time. He had five shots on goal. He had the big goal, of course. He finished the night plus one. Another guy that I thought obviously came up big was Nick Suzuki, who had a goal on the power play to tie it at one. Uh, That was in period number three, just 24 seconds in. It was 27 seconds later that Gallagher made it 2-1 for the Canadians. Um I think somebody got through to Suzuki, and clearly the stats indicate that, by the way. I don't have them here, but I took a look at them the other day. Suzuki's averaging over one shot more a game in the last six or seven that he's played. So in the first 15, you take a look at the first seven or eight, 
And now you take a look at the last seven. He's, I think he's almost at a shot and a half more per game on average. And a lot of people were telling him, you got a good wrist shot. You got to shoot the puck more. And it was becoming pretty obvious to everyone that Suzuki uh, was pretty much always looking for Cole Caulfield, even when the passing lane seemed closed or it almost seemed impossible to thread the needle. He still would. And now he's shooting more. And that shot on Saturday night with Monaghan screening the goalie and then moving out of the way at the last second, wow. That was that was a heavy wrist shot, man. Yeah, and I, mean, I think if you're looking at it as a trend and a shot and a half more per game uh, over the last six or something like that, one thing you'd probably notice outside of the Vancouver game is the Canadians are drawing more power plays. That's going to help. Uh, and the fact that he has a shooting mentality there, knowing that that lane to Caulfield just hasn't been there, that's that's going to help too because he has a great shot. Um, it's not the hardest shot. It's not the heaviest shot. It's not the fastest shot. It is an extremely accurate shot, and it's released well and at the right times. And that's what it takes to score as a guy who doesn't necessarily have the hardest shot or the whippiest shot. Um, you talked about Canadians having three French Canadians on the team, or not French Canadians, Quebec Loud guys on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh you talked about Gallagher. You talked about Suzuki having good games. There's one Italian guy on the team who I think has been really good. Pizzetta. That's right. I think well, he's the only one who's Italian. Well, he's the only Italian. That's why I got it right away. But don't forget, Eric. You know, really good. Vains have an Italian player to win the cup. Di Pietro Momesso. If you had the ice time in front of you from Saturday's game, I don't know what Pizzetta played on Saturday. I think it was probably around seven and a half minutes. 7.54. You have it there. Yep. You have the rest of his stat line. I do well. I have uh, I have uh, two shots, five hits. Uh, I have that. What are you looking for? Two shots, five hits in seven fifty four of ice time. Yeah, that's a pretty effective game. Uh, there was one. Which one was it? Was I like this game in Detroit? I like this game in Tampa uh, against Tampa, where he scored and was one of Montreal's best players. He's playing around eight minutes a game. I think the one against Tampa, he had uh, he had like five or six hits in under eight minutes in the game. Again, he was like, talk about bang for your buck. And he went in hard hard into the boards on a first period rush where he yeah. got a great scoring chance. Yeah, but it was all hard, Eric. He's all I, hard. That guy. I know. And you know something else? What you're seeing between him, Jake Evans, and Raphael Harvey Pinard is a line that Marty can rely on more. He, he, I think that Marty can use that line more. And it's it, it kind of congruent with what I'm talking about in terms of the team playing more of a grinding style. If you really want to wear teams down, if you want to play behind their defense, if you want to make it difficult for them to outwork you, you need to roll more than three lines. You need to roll four. And you need to have that kind of wave after wave of pressure that wears teams down. And then your skill can really take over. And I, I think that's when you talk about 50-50 weekend and I say 80% process, I look at the two games against Boston and Vancouver and I see a template for the Canadians moving forward, much more so than I saw in the Vegas game where, let's be honest, yeah, because it was a great game by the Canadians and I'm not detracting from it. And they made a bunch of plays and created scoring chances and looked like the Harlem Globetrotters at times. But the Golden Knights looked like shit in that game. They did not play well. 
they had two guys who were really going and Paul Cotter, who I, I didn't know much about before even getting to that game in Las Vegas. And he yeah. was fantastic. And Jack Eichel. And uh, Marshall had a couple flashes. But outside yeah. of that, nobody was there that night. And the Canadians, you know, clearly took something out of that game that was a bit of a mirage and a bit of an illusion based on the way they played the next three. They lost to Vancouver. They beat Boston. Yeah. But if you watch the way they played both games, and I'm not saying the emotional investment was the same in each one because I think it's yeah. normal that they got outworked last night. Yeah, they, they got no. I don't think they got outworked. I think it was a 50-50 game. I just they didn't they didn't take it to Vancouver the way they did Boston. Mm-hmm. But they still maintained the style of game that gave them a chance to win. And I, I think there's a lesson here. Like I, I think there's much, much more to take from that Boston win, and and even the way they played the next night against Vancouver in a game where they just their execution wasn't really there, than there was even in the Vegas game where it was hailed as the most thorough game the Canadians have played since Marty Saint Louis took over. So I talked to you about Gallagher and Suzuki. Really liked them on Saturday night um, versus the Bruins last night versus the Canucks. I think it was zero, minus three for Gallagher, minus four. For Suzuki, I think the Canadians' best players got outplayed by Vancouver's best players last night. You know what? Vancouver is – they are riding one of the greatest waves of PDO we've ever seen in the National Hockey League, which for people who don't know that term, it's shooting percentage, which is exceptionally high, combined with goaltending percentage, which is exceptionally high. And whenever that happens, everyone uh, in the hockey world – and even slightly in the know when it comes to analytics, will say to you, well, the regression is coming. The regression is coming. Um, Here's the thing about that. When you have outlandishly good goaltending, yes, it might regress a little bit, but it doesn't change the fact that you have a really good goaltender. Like Jeremy Swayman is not going to be at 9.52 all year, but if he drops down to 932, the Bruins are still going to win a lot. Um, yeah. Vancouver, their shooting percentage, percentages are exceptionally high. But when you have Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser, who can really shoot the puck, uh, and other guys like Pod Closen and, and uh, even Connor Garland, who's starting to pick up his game, and JT Miller, uh, you've got guys who can finish plays and make high-end plays. I find they play a much more organized brand of hockey with Rick Mm -hmm. Hockett behind the bench. They are not giving up the chances that they gave up over the last couple of years. They added a couple of NHL defensemen here, Hronik being one of them. Uh, That's that's a big difference uh, in terms of what they're doing. And I, I thought they were really on top of it last night. That said, though, like it was a 50 50 game. If the Canadians bury a couple of the chances they got, they're in it or winning it. So, I, I don't have an issue with the process last night. I didn't think it was a yeah. bad game at all from the Canadians. It just wasn't as good as the one against Boston. But what yeah. I like is the style. The style was still, we're going to try and, we're not feeding the other team. We're going to try and make these things happen in the in the hardworking kind of manner. And if they keep doing that, they're going to be more successful than people expect. Raphael R.V. Pinard. Uh Okay. Let's talk about him. When he came up last year, he looked amazing. He looked amazing on a line with Suzuki. It seemed like he scored goals pretty much all the time. Um, Maxim Lapierre joins us as a collaborator on most Tuesdays, and he said at the beginning of the season that he'd like to see Rafael RV Pinard 
be the line mate for Caulfield and Suzuki because he could match their uh, their IQ, he can match their intensity, he can match their passion to play, he can match um, you know a lot of things. But it hasn't worked out. Zero goals, four assists. He's a shadow of himself. Um, is he uh, the Montreal Canadiens this year's version of Rempilic? Are you ready to hit the panic button or what? No panic button? No, not even close. We don't have to uh, interrupt. I think he's get. I think. Can you keep can it's you keep hitting toy. it while I look for can while I look for some stats? <laughs> yeah, it's my new toy. Yeah, look for the stats. I'll look for the stats. No panic. No panic. No panic. 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 All right, there you have it. Hit the panic button several times. Okay. So the last part year, is, the best part is that I think my wife's upstairs. She just ran downstairs because she heard the panic button go off. She doesn't know what's going on. But anyway. So last year, Harvey Pinard played 34 games for the Canadians. Oh. Uh, at five on five, scored eight goals. Okay. On 40 shots. Right? So yeah. pretty reasonable shooting percentage there. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. So that's going to drop a little bit, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, generated 50 scoring chances. And he had 32 high danger scoring uh, uh, shot attempts. Mm -hmm. That's all at five on five, okay? Yeah. This year in 12 games, he has, I see, seven shots. So that's a low count for him. It's very low. Okay? That's a low count. Meanwhile, he has 15 scoring chances and 11 high danger uh, shot attempts. Those rates are higher than what he produced last year. So, what does that tell you? Yeah, but he's shooting a lot less, though. Shooting less. Seven shots at 12. Hitting games. the net less. He's hitting the net less. Yeah, that's hitting not... the net a lot yeah. less. Yeah. He has 11 high danger shot attempts okay. in 12 games. And he has 15 scoring chances and only seven shots on net. And last year, his shooting percentage was pretty high. Yeah. So all to say, I'm not hitting the panic button on him for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think his game is just about scoring. He definitely does need to score yeah. based on the opportunities he's getting. And he needs to hit the net with his shot and not get it blocked and not miss the net or not hit the post. And I think he's holding his stick a little tight and has been since the beginning of the season when it comes to finishing. But I'm not concerned about his game. And I think he plays a really highly effective one with the guys he's playing with right now. And I think if he gains some confidence from that position, I wouldn't hesitate to bump him up the lineup when anybody needs a spark because he's that type of player. I really liked his game over the weekend. So did you like? I don't think there's anything to panic about. Did you like Slavkovsky's game as much as Marty St. Louis liked it and were impressed with the Slavkovsky's game as much as Michael Matheson was? Yes. I, I mean, what's not to like? He had seven shots and, and 11 attempts. Those were career highs for him. Six. Uh, he Brandon was creating all of the shots. 
Okay, so they took one away from him. I, I, I can only yeah. go on the game sheet that was handed. No, no, you're right. You're game. right. They had seven at the end of the game last night and readjusted yeah. it this morning at six. Whatever. Yeah. He was creating a lot. I mean, I was speaking of there was there was somebody who stopped me in the press box who who works for another team and said Slavkovsky is really going tonight. I, I would say uh, I would say that he uh, he's going to score tonight, and I said it, it looks like it's going to happen. And you know what? Like, I like the kid's attitude. It, it could be really difficult sitting with one. What is it? One goal and one assist. One goal, one assist after fifteen. Yeah. It gets even harder to deal with when you know you're playing well. And he played well this weekend. He was good against Boston, and he was really good against Vancouver. He used his body well last night. But he's he wasn't down on himself last night when I talked to him. He he knows that the process is healthy there, and maybe part of that influence is Marty. Um, but I think he sincerely believes in that, and I, I think he he's a really mature kid. And I can go on my own opinion. Yeah. I can go on Jake Allen, who I really trust and really respect who says to me, like, it is night and day from last year to this year in terms of him processing this and not getting too hard on himself and his attitude every day at the rink and how he feels about things that are going on. And I, I don't know, you know, like, I think that was what I wrote about last night at Sportsnet. Yeah. It was from Slavkovsky to Anderson, who we didn't get a chance to talk to, but Marty said he's keeping it light, um, to Matheson, who – he had a goal last night. He finished minus three, but really there was only one goal that he was responsible for against. Yeah. And it was the third goal Vancouver scored. The other two were into empty nets. Yeah. Um, he played 23 minutes. He had, I don't know how many shots, five or something like that. Yeah. And like, you could have easily said like, yeah, my game was fine. He took the blame. He had, a, he didn't play his best game last night. His execution wasn't on. Uh, he gave away pucks more often than he should. And he was on for a critical goal against that kind of broke the Canadians back where he lost coverage on his man. And, you know, asked him what the game after he said, you know, I, I look inward and, and I wasn't good enough. And yeah. our execution wasn't good enough. And that starts with me. One and shot for Matheson last night. I bring up these three cases, Anderson, mm -hmm. Slavkovsky, Matheson. And I wrote about self-assessment and, and the Canadians are getting better at that. And that's, that's a sign of maturity. People can't forget this is the third youngest team in the National Hockey League. And I know it's annoying the writers, myself included. We all write about development all the time, maturation mm -hmm. process. But that's where this team is at. That's the stage that they're in. Well, and it wouldn't be fair if you would write about something that they're actually um, writing about, you know, a place where they aren't at or writing about something they're doing that they're not trying to do like they're this is a this is a rebuild we are now in phase two of the rebuild they have turned the corner but it's still a rebuild and that's where we are and you're right you're gonna have to talk about more about development than anything else because that's well, what they're trying to accomplish but those guys individually and as a team being able to understand when the process is healthy even if the result isn't there or vice versa not yeah. get wrapped up in the result and disillusion yourself in terms of what you're doing like, you know, they won some games earlier. That Marty talked to just a week ago saying, I, I was guilty of it as anybody, is kind of pushing aside some of the issues we had in our game where we had come back in third periods and won the game in overtime, and the first two periods were rotten, and we didn't really fix those issues, and you put a Band-Aid on it, and then all of a sudden you need major surgery, and it's mm -hmm. too late. Yeah. there's They've learned from that because when you hear the assessments last night after the game, 
it's in line with the fact that they've learned from it. And, and, and on both sides, from Matheson, who had a, anybody could have looked at the statue and been like, he was all right. And he says he wasn't good enough. And from Slavkovsky, who ends up minus two and has zero points. Yeah. But is able to say, no, I, I, I played well tonight. Like this, this is, this was good for me. This was a good game. That's, I just, Eric, I just hope, uh, and he did play a good game last night. I just, he's still frustrated, by the way. Just, just, yeah, he's frustrated, and anybody would be in this situation. Yeah, he's got two points in 15 games. If you do the math and you average it out, uh, five times to 75, two points, he's going to finish with 13 points or something this season, right? And obviously, you would think he's going to do a lot better than that. You would think because, well, if he plays like he did last night, I think, uh, I think he'll he won't have to worry that much about points anymore. If but I, I this is what I'm getting at. I just hope we don't get to the 25 30 game mark and he's got four points because then we could talk about the process all we want. We could talk about development all we want. There's there, there's going to be several who are going to say you know it's not working out. So because they're going to look at the points department and not look at the other stuff. I'm just saying. I just hope it doesn't get to that point where a 25-30 game mark, he's got four points. I mean, I'm, I agree I'm, I'm with you for this guy to pick up, pick up a couple of points here this week. I agree with you, but I would also say that the most important thing, and it's exactly what I wrote about last night, is how they assess themselves. That's the most important thing. When you're talking about a group maturing, what did Lafreniere do last night, by the way? He exploded last night. Yeah, he's on pace for 41 goals, Alexi Lafreniere. Okay. I never gave up on that guy. I love no, that. just y- you didn't. But like everybody did. I was you in know? the studio with George Larac at the BPM Sports, I would say about three or four weeks ago. And he was like, uh, um, you know, who would you rather have, Askarov or Lafreniere? And he went Askarov. I'm like, no, Lafreniere. And Askarov might turn out to be a very good goalie, by the way. But I, I think Lafreniere, more often than not, Guys who have produced at every level and they end up going number one overall more often than not. They put up, they end up putting up a point per game in the National Hockey League. Yeah, he had 12 goals his first season in 56 games. He had 19 goals in 79 games the next year and 31 points. He had 16 goals and 39 points last year, which everybody thought, okay, like, is he finally going to get there? Is he finally going to break out? Didn't happen. And uh, you know what? Coming into this year, people said it's never going to happen for him. Well, uh, Larry Brooks wrote a piece in the New York Post where he said that Lafreniere was just playing with no passion whatsoever and no work ethic, and he really gave it to him really good. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was warranted because it was preseason. I don't know if it was a wake-up call. But, you know, the encouraging thing for Lafreniere was, once again, 21 points, 31 points, 39 points. And this year it looks like he could be he could be off to the races. I mean, 11 points in 14 games. That's going to end up translating to a pretty nice season when all is said and done. If he it's a good start, he's got to maintain it. There's been yeah. plenty of players who got good starts, but the point is, like, it's yeah. just even now, where number ones are automatically always graduated into the NHL, like it's it just takes time for some of them, especially the ones who are kind of in the power forward mold. Uh, Caden Gooley, dominant. He's, he's plus seven, man. The guy plays like he's been in the National Hockey League for twelve years. Yeah, I don't care about the plus minus. I care about what I see on both ends of the puck. And just like, honestly, I don't even want to look at the stats. I, the eye test is doing plenty for me. Uh, 
I know the eye test says he's playing like the Canadians' best defenseman this year. Yeah, that's the eye test, and like I don't, I don't know of anybody who watches Caden Gooley that can't see it. Like he is, he's totally dominant. He's totally dominant. Um, You know, there are situations where I'm hoping he can exercise Mm -hmm. a little bit of caution. Just, just. I don't want to he, – he cares so much and plays so hard that he is often in vulnerable positions and he's suffered yep. significant injuries so far on the way to the NHL and in mm-hmm. the NHL. But I'd, I would be pulling out my hairs one by one to find something yep. critical to say about this player. Like he's uh, – He's a stud. He's, he's fun to stud. watch. He's, he's really fun to watch, and there's yeah. more offense to his game than is even on the paper right now. Like, yeah, he's, he's he's really good. Speaking of the eye test, did you hear about the eye test with Jimmy Murphy and Pure McGuire? Did you hear about that? I'm excited for those guys. I'm those are yeah. friends of mine, and I'm happy yeah. to see it happening here. They the dropped the podcast their first, by the way, earlier today. So if you have a chance, check it out. Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy have joined the Sick Podcast Network. Okay, Love so it. it's a uh, uh, it's a pretty much an all hockey show, right? So they're going to be talking about NHL. They're going to be talking about college hockey. They'll be talking about the women's game from time to like. They're it's just anything hockey that's going. And earlier today, uh, a couple of subjects came up. One of which was Scotty Bowman. Pierre was at the Hockey Hall of Fame, by the way, and congratulations to all of those who were inducted. Um, I don't have the list in front of me, Eric. I don't know if you do. Did you get? A, did you get a chance to see the the speech from Pierre Lacroix's grandson? I I, I did not know. Well, I was you, prepping I'm sure for the show, and I did. I'm sure. You, I, yeah, I'm sure you yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And the plan is to watch great. it tonight to tell you the truth. It was great. I was yeah, uh, prepping, and I didn't have. A, yeah, I was Pierre taking Lacroix. some stats down. I didn't have the TV on, but I I wanted to watch it. But uh, Eric, um, pardon me, the late Pierre Lacroix, of course. Yeah. Uh, goes in. Ken Hitchcock goes in. Catalin Ouellette goes in, Pierre Turgeon goes in, uh, Henrik uh, Lundqvist goes in, uh, Tom Barrasso goes in, and I'm, I'm not like I'm, I don't have them written in front of me right now, so I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. There was uh, another goal. Most was the other? There's a, the, you got most of them. Yeah. And now there, I'm blanking on who the other ones are. But. There was another goalie that I'm missing. I shouldn't be missing here, by the way. Yeah. Anyways, it's okay. I'm sure people yeah. watched it, and if they didn't, they'll check out the videos. Mike but, Vernon yeah. was the other goalie, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I think so. I didn't get to watch the whole program either because I'm here with you. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, there you have it. Uh, okay. So um, Craig Button was on the other day, and we were talking about he had some great stories, by the way, on uh, on Ken Hitchcock. Um Tony I think we all do. <laughs> yeah, Tony Pergenero says, I hope Pierre Maguire is a guest on your show in the future, Tony. Yes, he will be, 100% that he will be at some point. We're going to cross-promote. And uh, speaking of which, Sean Simpson, uh, uh, Simmer Down, started a show uh, covering the Ottawa Senators. Hugely uh, popular in Ottawa. Yeah, last week. And uh, I'm going to be a guest on his show one week from today, so next week, Monday. So there's going to be a lot of cross promotion going on but uh, i have to tell you i have to tell you and uh we are you know we're gonna say this with a lot of humility um our our business um sports business uh it's hurting and it has been hurting uh over the last couple of years 
and it's been hurting more and more and more. And uh, a lot of very talented people have lost their jobs. Uh, a lot of very talented people um, have seen their pay cut if they did hold on to their job. And it's been a tough time in the industry. And uh, the fact that this started up, uh, the Sick Podcast Network, uh, just over three years ago and about a year and a half ago, we decided to go full time with it. And a year and a half after going full time, we're actually expanding and we're hiring when the um, the business is in a lot of trouble. And we're doing that. Uh, it's it's uh, it makes us feel pretty good about, you know, who we are, what we do, where we're headed. It's it's pretty encouraging. All right. Okay. So we're hiring now up to about uh, 19 or 20 podcasts throughout North America. Uh, West Islander is a Quebecer, Big T. Jim, I know that, but I never said that I didn't think it wasn't. I said that according to some, Michael Matheson is not a Quebecer. For me, he is very much a Quebecer, but according to some, Raphael RV Pinard is. And David Savard is, and Samuel Motambo is, but Michael Matheson is not, according to some. According, according to some, to you and I aren't yeah. either, but we yeah. are. Yeah, uh, I don't even know why I, I should, damn me for going there. I should not have gone there. But anyway, I went there. Are we uh, taking questions? Is that what I read? Yeah, we're going to take questions in a oh, second. But before we do, before we do, one last one. Mm-hmm. I don't know how Alex Burroughs did it, but he did it. He turned it around. <laughs> oh, my God. This narrative about Alex Burroughs is perhaps – the most false narrative going with the Montreal Canadiens. Does he run the Canadiens' power play? Yes. Is Marty St. Louis heavily involved? Yes. Have the Canadiens focused specifically on their power play and different concepts injected into it before this season? Not really. Uh, You know, Marty St. Louis said as much in an interview with me before the season started Mm -hmm. that really – all they wanted to do was rectify the five-on-five play and build a base and a foundation for how they're going to win games because, let's face it, you play 95% of them at Mm -hmm. five-on-five. Now, all of a sudden, there's things going on. There's a few different factors and why a power play works and why it doesn't. One is you have to have good players. I think Kirk Muller was a guy who said, show me good players, I'll show you good power play. Yeah. Um, Another is familiarity. And like the guys who were on the power play and started building something towards the end of last year are on it again this year. And even without Kirby Doc there, it's going pretty well. And the second unit has contributed quite well as well with guys who have played consistently in their career on the power play and in power play roles. And so I think Justin Barron's a good fit there. You know, I'm not taking anything away from Alex Burroughs, but just in the way that he didn't deserve all the blame for the power play being kind of a failing product over the last couple of years, he certainly doesn't need to have all the credit, but it's nice to see him getting some. And I see Max LaPierre posting his picture every time they score a power play goal. That's pretty pretty much, which is pretty much every game right now. And I think it's hilarious and keep doing it. But like the people who constantly have been harping on Alex Burroughs, like, yeah, you know, he, yes, he as he's the assistant coach who is charged with the power play, but everybody's touching on that, but the entire staff and Marty St. Louis is extremely involved. Yeah. So I, I, I hear you, you know, it's just that even though it's a, it's a committee thing, you always look at the guy who is kind of assigned uh, to get that going almost like an offensive coordinator in football. And because the Canadians had the worst and second worst power play in the last couple of years, that's where that attention was on Burroughs. I was actually the last couple of minutes here. I was taking a look 
Um, Maxim Lapierre had sent me over his schedule. I was going to see if he was on tomorrow. He actually is. Lapierre told me a story about Burroughs and about the power play. And if Lapierre wasn't going to be on tomorrow, I would repeat the story. But because he is going to be on tomorrow, I'm going to have Maxim Lapierre say the story tomorrow. All right. Okay. Why don't we do this? Before we let you go, let's take five very quick questions, right? Maybe I'll tackle one. You tackle one. We'll start with you. Okay. And yellow and Sammy and master control. This one coming from Jose Levesque. La belle Jose. Uh, question for you, gentlemen. She must be talking about you, Eric. Uh, what do you think about swapping Evans for Dvorak to play with Cole and Slaff? I don't. I. I don't dislike it. I don't think Dvorak is playing bad though. Like I, I think that line is actually coming out with some good chemistry. And what I like about it right now is that Caulfield has the puck on his stick quite a bit more, and he's getting a bit away from. Some yeah. of the matchups he's been in throughout the season. As far as Evans is concerned, I really like the game that him, Raphael, Harvey, Pinard, and Pizzetta play together. And when you know, Pizzetta's not there and they put Yulon in, they play really well together as a line as well. Yeah, I wouldn't rush to put Army on that line right now. And and that's no disrespect to Army, who's doing a good job killing penalties. It's just he slows down the pace of it. Um, he doesn't play that grinding kind of corner game and forecheck game. And mm-hmm. those three guys, almost like the – the Gallagher, Monaghan, Pearson line with without necessarily as much offensive upside. They play a hard in-your-face game that I think, as I said, Marty can rely on more. And yeah. if Vorak were really struggling with Caulfield and Suzuki, uh, with Caulfield and, and Slavkovsky, I'd consider it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's a long-term fit with Dvorak and those two guys, but it looks good right now, so I wouldn't be rushing to make a change. I don't think he's struggling, and obviously the Gallagher line is going pretty good. But at one point, if he is, the one move I would make would probably be to put Monahan between Slavkovsky and Kofi. I would angle that way, too. And I also, yeah. look, I, th- I think some of the guys on the beat have brought this up, that the Gallagher-Dvorak combination has not been good in the past. It really hasn't worked. But Gallagher's healthy, and he wasn't in the past. Yeah. And I also think that Dvorak is playing good hockey right now and he plays a straightforward enough style of game that I don't know that it would be a massive change without taking anything away from what Monaghan is doing at the center of that line because he's been excellent obviously yeah question number two here we go Uh, Mike Mankafas I think we should keep Monaghan and trade Pearson at the deadline what do you guys think Eric I think the Canadians are going to have a good chance. I mean, let's see what happens between now and the trade deadline. But uh, if 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 it goes the way we should expect it to go, that the Canadians will probably taper off a little bit and be a little too far outside the playoff picture to keep pushing with what they have. I think you trade both of them. Uh, I don't look. It's all contingent on what you get. Um, but the way Sean Monahan's playing right now you're guaranteed, I think, a first-round pick and something on top of that as well. Um, and that's not something you turn away from. And uh, I, I'm not, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna detract, by the way, from, yeah. from Monaghan's value to the Canadians and what he's done and his age and this and that. Uh, but the Canadians, one of the things Kent Hughes has said that is very logical yeah. is if you're gonna pay free agents money and give them term, it's you're doing so knowing that the first couple of years are usually the best ones 
and your if your team is not in a position to win and compete for the Stanley Cup, then there's no use because contract, when you are, those later years are going to be the worst ones. And I'm not like for what Sean Monahan has been through. If this season nets him a long term deal with any team in the NHL, yeah, I, would, good I, would, I would wish that for him. Yeah, and if, if his desire is to return to Montreal, if it come if he continues down this path and gets traded before the trade deadline, which I think is very likely yeah. considering what his value will be on the market and he really wants to return, then we could talk about that then. And I don't think anybody would look at it in a yeah. medium term deal and a number that's digestible and say, well, that's stupid. I mean, but this whole idea of, well, keep him and, and he's too valuable to the team and the guys, like the market will dictate what they do with him. And Eric, the market is going to pay for him. Let's be honest. The second Pearson they acquired too. him, the second Pearson they acquired been good. him, yeah, he's been very good. The second they acquired, could have scored last night, he hit the post on a 0-0 game. Uh, the second they acquired Sean Monahan, uh, their thought was at the deadline, if we can get a first round pick for him, he's gone. We're and trading they were, him. They were they going were to last year. I can yeah. guarantee you that. Seventeen points to twenty five games before going down with the injury. All right, okay. They're gonna uh, get. They're if he keeps going this way, they're going to get more than that. They're going to get more than that. It's something I'm sure we'll uh, discuss with Max LaPierre tomorrow night. Why don't we do this, Eric? Let's shut it down here. Huh? Shut it down? Think, yeah, yeah. I think we I have said... two more questions. Okay, two more. Let's go. You're tired? No, not at all. Rager Maganov. When do you think Roy gets uh, the call up to the Habs? Is there someone else you think will get the call as well? Joshua Roy, obviously. You don't want to put a day or a week on it, but... I would bet any amount of money he's playing games in the NHL at some point this year. Yeah. I'll you know, say if it's long term or whatever, he's going to get a taste. I'll he's say before Christmas. I'll say before Christmas. That's next. a good one. That's interesting. Yeah. Next, that'll be his Christmas present. Uh, Drum Dude, 74. Who wins the cup this year, Tony and Eric? It's early. I know. It's just a guess. Who are you going with? The pick that I had before the season started is not looking good right now. Who was it? Colorado. Yeah, they have time to turn that around. Yeah, I just thought their defense was just amazing. Puck moving defensemen, and they still are very, very fast. And they're just they're a bit of a funk right now. They're up and down, but they 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 they've been blown out of the water a couple of times. I'll tell you, man. Not having Vegas, Landis Vegas laid the smackdown on them a couple of weeks. Not ago. having Landis Goggins tough, man. Yeah. Vegas to me, and they lost a few recently, but they look like a team that they can beat anybody. Um, the guy, the team for me is Dallas. Uh, I just think Dallas. When you have when you have guys like Sega on your third line, you know, and you have Miro Heiskanen, and you have Jake Ottinger, and Jason Robertson, and just young talent like Wyatt Johnson, I just they're I would not want to play that team in the playoffs the way they're built, and uh, I like their chances of winning the cup. Rupe Hints. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, last one. Now I think we already took five, and now I'm saying last one and one for last one. Glenn de la Siega. When you say the Habs have turned the corner, can you explain in what direction in terms compared to last year? I don't recall saying that they did. I said I said I said they're in phase two of the rebuild. Oh, they're definitely past the infancy stage. Yeah, that's it. So they're not they're not learning how to play all of a sudden and figuring out uh what the concepts are that Marty's trying to preach. They have a baseline here that they've been working off of, and they've been taking steps forward in terms of establishing that. But that's, that's I think exactly I said it. this on your show. Yeah. And I'll continue to say it. 
next year, Doc will come back healthy. And if in between next year, this year and next year, the Canadians acquire a player who can score on a regular basis, not quite at Cole Caulfield's level, but if they acquire a 35 goal scorer, close to it, that's when this whole thing becomes something different. That's when this whole thing changes. Because I think Kirby Doc is legit. Yeah. And I think Suzuki's legit. And I think Caulfield's legit. And I think yeah. if you have another scorer next to Doc, with what the Canadians have built on defense, they're going to be a team that people will be taking much more seriously. And that will be the beginning stages of them becoming a lot more competitive. You know what? If not, and if they can't acquire that player, look at the bright side. In three years from now, uh, Michkov will come over from. Oh, wait. <laughs> Oh, wait. I had to get that. No, but the Canadians have a couple players in Russia who might come over and might make a big difference in this as well. One's, yeah. a, one's a defenseman, and they're, they're both. Their defenseman cool. is playing really good. Homelander says, uh, does Lane Hudson join the Canadians at the end of his college season? This is Agnello and Sammy, who, by the way, who say five questions, and now all of a sudden they throw a question. I love them. I love them. But that yeah. was a question that didn't need to be asked because we already know the answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you the love them, eh? Yeah, you love them. I do. I really do. They're my favorite. Good for you, man. Out of the th- out of the four of us, they're my favorites. And yellow upsets me every now and then. But other than that, it's all good. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again. Uh, once again, we'll bring up the Canadian schedule before you actually break away here. Let's do that. Here it is. This is the month of November. A loss in Arizona. A loss in St. Louis. A loss at home versus Tampa. A win in Detroit. Uh, a win versus the Bruins. A loss last night versus the Canucks. And now this week, the rest of the week, they have, they host Calgary tomorrow night. They host Vegas on Thursday night and they go to Boston on Saturday night. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, some of the boys like to take trips and they like to go on the road and they watch a game. Uh, That seems like a really nice road trip. A weekend in Boston, you leave on a Friday morning, you spend all of Friday, all of Saturday, you come back Sunday to Montreal. Lucky you, if any of you are going to that game in Boston. Let me tell you about what comes after that for a hockey reporter, okay? Yeah. I'm flying uh, the 20th after Canadians practice to Los Angeles. Okay. It's a night flight. Mm -hmm. There is practice on the 21st. There is this game in Anaheim, and the schedule being what it is, I have to go from Anaheim, which is right next to Los Angeles, to Northern California and San Jose, which is nowhere near either of them, and then come back to Los Angeles. And then the Canadians are off the 26th in Los Angeles and practicing on the 27th in Los Angeles, at which point I will board a flight at 8.55 p.m. Western time to fly to Columbus and arrive at 6 a.m. so that I can be at practice on the 28th and then game on the 29th, then come home on the 30th because there's a game at the Bell Center, and then uh, I'm off to the Board of Governors meeting in Seattle. So, uh, wow. Let I'm me ask be, you something. I'm going to be a arrive, little messed up after those couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, once, once you arrive in California, what do you do after? You rent a car and you drive or what? Well, I rent a car for sure because I got to go to Anaheim. You don't fly to Anaheim, you fly to LA. That's okay. three trips to LAX because of the way that's structured. Typically, the way it's structured is you go to San Jose, and then you go to L.A. and Anaheim for a back-to-back. Not yeah. you go to Anaheim, and then you have San Jose and L.A. back Oh, wow. Okay. Thankfully, they're afternoon games. Might yeah. catch some Sunday night football uh, when the Canadians are off on the 26th there at uh, L.A. and Baltimore. Yeah. Which should be cool. 
I don't like driving when I get away. When I'm out of town, like I just I don't like I I do it, but I mean if I have I a chance I don't like flying from the west coast to the east coast overnight so that I could be a, a practice the next day. But this is yeah. the job I've chosen yeah. and this is what it's gonna be. Yeah, you know, it's a tough life. The job I've chosen is uh, I stay home in my basement uh, Monday to Thursday, uh, 10 p.m. show. Uh, I log on at around the 9.45 p.m. I got the, my fridge five feet away, my bathroom 10 feet away, and uh, we talk hockey for about an hour. In this case, we went over time, but uh, this is the job that I've chosen. But you know what? You're the winner because you don't have to deal with a yellow on a day-to-day basis. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. All right, there you have it. Marinero, the sick podcast. Uh, I want to thank Energy Transportation Group. Of course, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America. They're driven to be different. I want to thank Playground. Over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and Playground casino games. Daily promotions, unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge. Only minutes from downtown Montreal. And I want to thank La Beta TB, brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. They offer quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Beta TB, embrace your true nature. Speaking of playground before, by the way, once again, I've told you before, I told you again, we all, we told you we're going to get together. Uh, we're going to have a beverage. We're going to have some, uh, some, uh, some hors d'oeuvres to munch on. We're going to play the slots. I think uh, some of you might even play poker. And uh, we'll have an eye on the Montreal Canadiens game that night as they host uh, and play the uh, the New York Islanders, and uh, I think I might even be jumping on with an abbreviated sick podcast edition of a post-game show, per se, right after the game. That's going to be at Playground. Once again, save the date, Saturday, December 16th, the sick podcast with myself at Playground, and Sammy and Yellow are going to be there, too, and hopefully some of our collaborators. More details to come. Save the date. Thank you all for watching. If you liked it, like it, share it with your friends. Comment sick, S-I-C-K. And on Apple, leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling the love for Yellow Sammy and Juliana at Master Control. They're Cavallaro. I'm Marinero. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.